0: In today's episode of The Exit Plan, I talked to Nikki Wheldon, a two-time Exited founder who has a unique trajectory, all the way from acting to founding Jampot, which is a platform that provides freelance operational support to businesses. When it came to selling her business, she listed it on the Foundy platform, and we've had Joe Lewin, the CEO, on a previous episode. Nikki's experience offers valuable insights into strategic decision-making, negotiation, and the post-sale transition. And at the end of today's episode, we have an, we have another listener question answered in M&A Q&A with Nick Berry. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nikki.
1: I'm Nikki Wealdon. I um, have had, a, I think, a slightly different journey career-wise because I initially was an actor, went to drama school, uh, trained as an actor and worked in that industry for a few years. But um, it's not conducive with having children, I don't think. And uh, I wanted to try and find something that I could do that was a little bit more stable. So we, um, I, I, throughout that time, I've had lots of different businesses, and so I would definitely fit the category of a, a serial entrepreneur, uh, trying lots of things, some more successful than others, which I think you have to have a bit of both. Um, and yeah, most recently, uh, I just sold my business, Jampot, and I'm just kind of uh, in the last week, actually, of the, the handover for that, which is very exciting. So I'm soon to be moving on to, to, to the what's next. Which is okay. maybe, really
0: really cool. Yeah. I mean, I saw on your LinkedIn you were a dancer for the uh, um, 2012 Olympics. The yeah, ceremony. that was
1: that was <laughs> really cool. They just put out a big casting, and uh, and I was like, yep, that sounds like something I'd like to have on my uh, tick box. I was in the closing ceremony. Um, it was really cool, Amazing. actually. Yeah.
0: And then, really so then you uh, kind of, what did you do after that then?
1: Yeah. So I so in basically as an actor. You spend a lot of time not being an actor. You are right. in between jobs, so you're resting. And what I would find is that I would be just constantly hustling to pay the bills. Because when you get the acting work, it's great; it pays nicely, all good. But in between that, you still got to obviously live. So I think that's where my kind of um, yeah, the, the the general hustle began of just how can I find ways to be making money so that I can you know keep doing what I want to be doing. Uh, So I was temping a lot. And I I think that temps are kind of real unsung heroes because you get thrust into a a, a job. You don't know the team. You don't know anybody. You're expected to just figure it out. So I ended up in roles that were in kind of operations and admin and um, fell into kind of recruitment and and things like that. And I, I think it was a very, very important way to learn business because you're kind of in the background behind the scenes, but often actually doing real crucial business critical work, but nobody really notices much. Um and that really helped me then when it came to doing my businesses, knowing what (laughs) watching what other people were doing, and then kind of thinking, well, how do I want to do that? And how could I combine that with needing to be making money in between these acting jobs? That's where a lot of those things came from.
0: So how did you make the leap then from being a temp to going into your own business?
1: i um, probably doing them at the same time. I think I, I was okay. temping and I was meeting a lot of people, and I, I think I I had a lot of ideas. I'm definitely one of those kind of people that I don't think I may be very great to employ because I, I'm very much a why person. I'm always kind of saying, "Oh, well, h- how about you do it this way?" or, or have, you, "Have you considered trying to do this?" And some people don't actually like that, um, and so I realized that all those ideas I had, I could we could you know be utilizing them so the the first what i would class as kind of proper startup or or business that that i had was a a tech startup and it was a a time tracking software which um when we were doing it all there was only really toggle that existed and it was mainly used by devs and what i wanted was um a way of
0: harvest i remember harvest back in the day as well which was like
1: yeah which was all built into kind of a more complex more expensive software And we, um, me and my my husband, we uh, developed something that was called PluHoo, and it was going to be a time tracking app. And it all came from the necessity of, I was doing so many different jobs and lots of different work in lots of different places. And I wanted to keep track of what work I was doing where. And then I could do my invoices at the end of each month and see who I needed to invoice what. And um, I just wanted something that was a little bit more prettier, user-friendly, rather than being aimed at predominantly at people who were kind of coding and and building websites. Um, And it was a real crash course in business because it epically failed. We uh, spent way too much money. We We did lots of stuff wrong, but from that came kind of some of my biggest successes because we were like we'll never do this again we'll never do this again it was almost as though we'd gone to business school by trying to have that business right and um we we it we we shut it down we were like this is this is um it's it's not working out and rather than feeling sad about that we both felt i think at the time we felt a bit sad about it but we both can now see like how important that failure was to help us with how to set up businesses in the future differently
0: okay. and far uh, leaner. So what did you do after that then?
1: So we did who and then um, I think that was about the time of our point in our lives where we were looking for a, a bit more stability. So we were thinking about having kids and, and moving out of London and wanting a, a a house and things like that so i i kind of decided i needed to maybe knuckle down and get kind of a proper job and and i started working in a role that was a, a an ea to the ceo of a, a recruitment company um and working in recruitment as a headhunter uh and i really enjoyed that actually i uh, i i liked that got very good at looking at cvs and uh <laughs> knowing very quickly you know what you're looking for and so I kind of settled for a bit and realized I just needed to kind of work for someone else for a while and just get a mortgage and, and do the sensible stuff and, yep. yeah, chill for a bit. Um, but it didn't, it didn't last very long because then we had our son and I realized I didn't actually want to go back to being in an office and mm-hmm. that I wanted to have a bit more flexibility. Um, so then we set up Jampot, which... Okay. Uh, yeah we've only just sold now so
0: so so okay so tell me about that business then what does what does Jampot do
1: we um it goes back to the idea that the people in ops type roles and those kind of um the the, the back end of the business are, are kind of unsung heroes not really noticed but so crucial to the to the way a business ticks over so Uh, Simon, my my husband, and I had both been in roles where we'd been that kind of ops person that I think everybody's either been this person or knows this person in the company where they are doing everything. They're doing a bit of payroll, a bit of uh, admin. They're ordering the drinks for the office. They're organizing the Christmas party. And they're probably the lowest paid person in the company. And we just got a bit frustrated by that, really. Um, So we decided to set up Jampot as a way of doing that kind of work, but freelance. And, um, you know, with lots of different clients so that we didn't just have the one company. And the the aim was really it was just going to be us doing it, just the two of us. You know, we were never going to scale it. We didn't have any plans to have a big team. But as time went on, we realized we were filling quite an interesting gap because the um, a, a lot of startups, a lot of small companies need support in those areas, but don't actually need to hire they just need a little bit of extra. So it was just before the whole VA thing really went nuts and everyone became a VA because we, we were kind of doing that without calling it that. Um, and it was just us for a while, for probably the first couple of years. And then we realized we needed to start to build a team because we were getting a lot of requests for things that we could try to do. But it made more sense to me to get an expert in that area so a bookkeeper or a someone with marketing experience rather than me doing those things
0: okay so and what did so what were what were your clients who who were you who were, who were buying your services
1: when we first started it was anyone um that i could find <laughs> we gave ourselves a 3 month runway and said if we can make enough money we can do this and otherwise we have to go back and get jobs so it was I I was out there trying to speak to anyone about doing this kind of stuff. And we did all sorts. We did cold calling. We did a campaign once where we had to send a load of letters out and they posted us all the stuff. And we had to put all the letters in the envelopes and go to the post office, like anything um, over the years, it it ended up being. Either kind of individuals who are involved in lots of different businesses, so kind of entrepreneurs, busy entrepreneurs, or startups, small businesses with quite small teams who are on the edge of that kind of they're about to scale, or they're maybe doing seed or series A rounds and they're growing the team. So that middle ground just before they they establish a, you know, a more more of a team or need to hire more. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, okay, and, and typically kind of what would um what would an engagement look like? Like what how many hours a week were they buying or, or how did that work?
1: I think that's what we 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 did differently right from the beginning is that um we we never did retainers. So yeah. it was always completely flexible. So clients could come in and you know eventually so by this point now with well, there's seven different departments. So you've got admin, EA, HR, finance, legal marketing and graphic and web design so clients can come in and say oh i need a bit of admin support Oh, actually could someone do a bit of bookkeeping oh can i speak to the legal team about this contract and it's just billed to the nearest minute Mm -hmm. so it was very very fair very flexible very transparent and everybody around us was doing retainers and tiring tying people in which is a little bit more lucrative it's a little bit more um it looks better on paper because you've got this like structured. This is how much we're earning each month. But it meant that we kept clients and we got clients quite easily because there was nothing for them to lose. So the, the yeah. usual structure would be a client would come in with one department and would kind of try it out realize that it's a good team and that we've got kind of great people and that we could do a good job and would then do a little bit more and a little bit more and then we'd end up maybe working with them across a few different departments kind of regularly so so
0: when so when you say it was you and your husband for the first couple of years you were doing Mm. everything yeah like you were sort of performing the role that that the companies were buying your time essentially
1: yeah, so we're between us. Okay. We've got slightly different skill sets. He's very techy, so he was doing web builds, he was doing design stuff, um, logos, that kind of thing, and I was doing a lot of the ops side. So I was doing ops support, EA support, uh, that that kind of side of things. And and it, we were quite happy with it, just being the two of us. But then we, it really was probably of all the different things I've done in in my life, the easiest thing I've ever had to to, to sell to people. We would just tell people about it, and they'd go, "Oh, well, actually." I could do with a bit of that you know and uh, and we'd find that we were just getting so much work in that it made sense for us to to build it out so then gradually over the years we started handing things over to to team members instead and doing less ourselves
0: and how did you go about hiring those team members then did were they sort of contracting initially or were you hiring them full time
1: uh, it's all freelancers um, okay And specifically it's freelancers that are also freelancing elsewhere and have their own clients because it means you get people who are really kind of finger on the pulse with what's going on They're They're working with clients in lots of different ways. They're already kind of very actively working. And we, we really liked that because it meant that people were, were doing stuff and they weren't solely reliant on us because the downside of that type of work is that the hours could, be all over the place for, for them. Yeah. So it was quite easy to to, to find people because particularly the, the 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 real kind of hockey stick moment we had was during and after the pandemic because suddenly lots of people realized that you can do a lot remotely. Whereas, whereas yeah. before I would have been trying to convince people, no, no, you can have a finance manager who's remote. Now I didn't have to convince anybody. But also there was a huge influx of people wanting to stay working remotely and wanting to be able to work remotely. So we had a huge pool of talent wanting to work with us and also very nice position. Lots of clients wanting to work with us as well. And then it was just a matchmaking process, really, of, you know, vetting and matching and making sure that like account management and and that side of things.
0: Okay, Um, so can you give me an idea of what kind of size it got to before you sort of started um, talking about a a sale?
1: Yeah, so we I think there came a point where we could see that the growth could could almost be infinite. Like you could just keep going in the way that we were going. And we started thinking about would we want to do that or would we want to sell it instead? Would we know we do want someone else to do that? The, the point at which we're at today is there's a team of about 40, and we probably have between 40 and 50 active clients a month of varying okay. different sizes. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, cool. So then how did, so did, you, how did the, the sale come about? Did you kind of take it to market, or did you get approached by someone?
1: Um, the, the biggest catalyst in the whole thing was Foundy. So we, I came across Foundy. It's a, like a platform, a little bit like Flipper. In, in the U S we've had, um, I've had
0: Joe on, on this podcast actually.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I came across foundy actually, um, probably a year and a half ago. Now it was, it was really, it was really young. It was only just kind of coming to, coming to market, I think. And their unique selling point is that you can, um, list your business anonymously. And this was the biggest challenge with Jumpot is I didn't want anybody to know that we were thinking of selling it. In case clients would panic or, you know, in case people would, you know, team members would panic. And so it was like, well, how do I shout out about that without people knowing? And a, f- a few years ago, we, we started up an e-commerce business uh, kind of on the side. It was a, an online gift box business and we decided to sell that a few years later and the, we just we had such a good kind of um following on instagram and and kind of client base that we just posted it out everywhere and said we're going to we've decided we're going to sell this and the person that bought it was somebody who had come across one of those channels and said oh i want to speak to you about it and so that was all really easy but with this we i couldn't do that there was no way I was going to post on linkedin or something to say about it so the fact that we could do that anonymously on foundly was huge because we could, I, th- I thought there's nothing to lose here. I'm just going to list it, and I, th- I thought it was a bit too good to be true. To be honest, I, th- I didn't think we'd actually get. Or I was like, oh, what we're going to get? You know, who are we going to get contacting us on here? Um, and it was, and it was brilliant. We actually had a lot of interest on there, um, and had some really good conversations. Um, and, and
0: it's fairly sort of straightforward. It's fairly, because I'm going kind to of quick, isn't it, to sort of put put ah, your business so details easy.
1: in there? Yeah. Yeah, you, you you answer a few questions. You you know you you list your business. You you say a little bit of a blurb about it. Um, you put in some details in terms of kind of revenue, profit, um, what you're looking for to to you know to to sell it for, and then it kind of just gets pushed out. And and there's a load of buyers on there who can look at kind of some of the details, and then if they want to look at more they um have to kind of request to see more and you can see who they are first and then you can choose whether to you know show them more information about it and and hop on a call so it was really easy that was part of my fear of whether it was real um right but it didn't take me long at all because it it was it was really easy to do it i kind of almost half-heartedly did it thinking yeah um so, so so how
0: how many um buyers did you progress with did you sort of jump jump on a call with? How did you sort of whittle it down?
1: Yeah, we were were on there for quite a while because to be honest, I really flicked between whether to sell it or not because it was by far the most successful business we've ever had. Um, And at this point was ticking along very, very nicely. 90% of the clients come through word of mouth, um, easy to run, doing well, growing on its own. You know, it was a little bit like, is this silly to to get rid of this so I you know we would get messages from people and, and I'd be quite um I think that allowed me to be quite picky about who I'd want to talk to who I'd uh you know what we would and wouldn't even consider an initial conversation you know like it allowed me to be quite picky about that but I think over the time we were on there we probably had 10 to 15 people messaging about wanting to know more and I think I probably had about four or five kind of calls about, you know, wanting to know more about it and, and looking into it, um, which I was pretty pleased with because that's people that we wouldn't have found otherwise. So, you know, and then one yep. of them ended up being our, our buyer. So Okay. So how, how
0: did that go? How did you, how did you sort of, yeah, whittle, whittle it down to choose that person? How long did that take? We,
1: we got to a point where we actually decided not to sell it. So we got to a point <laughs> where I thought, look, the, the The types of deals that we're getting in, or the, or the the types of things that people are proposing, just it's not worth it for me to to do it. Like this is silly. I should just keep going.
0: And presumably that's because the deal was kind of structured with earn uh, out, and you have to weigh it up against just keeping yeah. the business, right? And often there's yeah. there's not that much in it.
1: I think there's this there's this fear of the grass being greener on the other side, and you know. Just because it's not necessarily exciting me every day when I wake up doesn't mean I should give it away. And also I was feeling a bit burnt out. I was really worn out from it all. But that's not a reason also to just hand it over for for less or for, you know, I I was very, very sure I didn't want to walk away from that process feeling as though I would lost out. And we got to a point where I thought where I, I we we actually went to Portugal for a while. We we were living in Portugal and I felt a renewed sense of energy. I was going to the beach. It was sunny. I was I was like, yeah, do you know what? I'm going to go and be the one that scales this. I'm going to go and 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 do it. Let's let's do two or three more years and then we can maybe sell it for more or a better deal or we'll maybe be in, a, in an even better position. But I didn't take it off foundy. Um, I don't know whether that was intentional or not. I just kind of left it on there. I don't know if I really realised. And um, and our buyer popped up and um, said he'd be interested. I went back very clearly saying, okay, but fine. We're not doing this. We're not doing this. I'm not going to consider this. You know, almost probably looking back.
0: What were a few of those things? What were the kind of speculations that you had?
1: Um. It was to do with the the deal terms in that mm-hmm. I didn't want to, you know, we'd had one person who wanted me to stay in the business for two years. Well, that's too it's too long. I I was done with the business at that point. I didn't want to be in it for two years. Um so it was so there was things around how long I'd have to be in the business. And a lot around the, the the structure of the deal itself. So the percentage of the amount we would get up front as opposed to what we would get over the following years, the length of that period, because we'd had somebody who wanted to do it over kind of four to five years. Um, yeah. And it's just such a long time. And yeah. um, it was things like that, really, just around the, the actual nitty gritty of like, OK, how what would our life look like after this? Would we actually have enough money to be able to have a break for a bit or would we just have to go straight into new jobs because of the way the deal was structured
0: if you listen to this podcast and think that sometimes you'd like to be able to ask some of the speakers some questions that are specific to your exit i've put together a little event which will give you the opportunity to do that so on the 31st of january i'm hosting the first exit plan live event um, i've invited three speakers to join me nick berry MA advisor and partner at green square <laughs> Lisa Pasca who sold her SEO agency Verve to a network agency group and Joe Lewin the CEO of Foundy an M&A Marketplace. We'll be recording a live podcast followed by a Q&A that won't be recorded to give you the opportunity to ask the speakers about your plans for an exit. It's at the Riding House Cafe in Fitzrovia who do an excellent breakfast and it kicks off at 8am on the 31st of January. Link to buy tickets in the show notes and hopefully you can join us. And I guess because yeah. you'd had quite a few of those conversations before, you had gained a lot of knowledge from that and you kind of knew yeah. what your what your red lines were. And yeah, I, I guess that I actually was, kind of makes makes the negotiation a bit easier and a bit quicker, potentially.
1: It was brilliant because I really knew by that point what I, I did and didn't want. And um, it was also quite important to me that I'd had a couple of conversations where I felt a little bit like for whatever reason, without reading too much into it, I don't know, because I'm a woman, because I am I'm, I'm, I look youngish, I don't know, where the conversations had been a little bit patronising, or they'd maybe assumed I didn't really know what I was doing. Mm, so I think part of my not, pushback was great. me trying to kind of say, yeah, but you're going to have to take me seriously. You know, that kind of initial pushback of like, yes, but right off the bat, I'm going to show you here that I'm not messing about, I know what I'm doing. I know what I will and won't discuss, it, you know, um, because of some of those conversations, I yeah. think, it, it and not necessarily even the call conversations, just some of the back and forth before it got to a call where I would be like, no, we're not going to have a call here because it was very clear that they maybe weren't necessarily... Yeah, taking me very seriously, and that that frustrates me anyway. So it's like, look, it's my choice too. You know, <laughs> I'm not desperate. Yeah. And that's the underlying thing of the whole process is we weren't desperate to sell the business. We we were doing perfectly fine at this point. Simon moved out of the business kind of about a year or two before the this this point. So it was me running it, and and I was all right. I was doing okay. I could keep going. So we didn't have to sell it, and that put us in such a strong position. So by the time Chris's message came round, we I'd spoken to quite a few different people. I'd had lots of conversations. I knew exactly what I would and wouldn't even consider just to get onto a call. And um and actually he responded to my message and said, Yep, yeah, totally understood. I'd still really like to to have a call. Uh, and it was brilliant. It was it, it worked very well. So it was almost like it all needed to <laughs> lead up to that conversation, really. So yeah And then was, how was... did
0: how 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 did that the rest of the, the process go then sort of what was what was the timeline from having the first call with Chris and, and how yeah how did were you able to put a deal um, together
1: I I nearly looked at this actually before today because I was I actually was trying to think about when we first spoke and it must have been um it must have been around May, I think, that we first spoke. May May or June.
0: Okay. So about six months Um,
1: ago. Yeah. And, you know, it was initially a call and then kind of lots of questions and then some initial kind of initial due deal of just trying to suss out, you know, how it all works. and, And because I think because we weren't particularly traditional, it wasn't quite so easy to get your head around exactly how it all worked. So we weren't really a consultancy. We kind of are not really an agency, but kind of are. Don't do retainers, but still can show that we've got very kind of happy customers that are loyal and a low churn. So there was, yeah, there was quite a bit of just back and forth and just just checking. Was that before that that or bit.
0: after you had heads of terms? At what point did did the buyer put put an off an offer? Um,
1: in? That was before. We did quite a okay. bit before. Which at the time felt quite intense, but actually was useful because then by the time it actually came to the heads of terms and doing the SPA, a lot of the finer details had already been kind of mashed out. So it was quite nice in that sense, because we almost did it the opposite way around. And so we, yeah, there was quite a bit of back and forth and then obviously just the negotiation around the price. So, you know, we can't get to the heads of terms unless we've got the price nailed. And we were going back and forth on that quite a bit, as you do, I think, um, just trying to make sure that we felt really happy with that, that he felt he was get also obviously getting a good um, a good deal with it. <clears throat> and, yeah, and then once we'd actually done that, it, it was all relatively quick. We then used Seed Legals to do the okay. legal side, which was, was really interesting because, you know, it's kind of answers some questions and it generates your... Um, heads of terms and then it uses that information to generate your spa and you just then input the specifics which is I'm there not a seen human before.
0: involved in that process there,
1: yeah you get a team and okay. you can work you know so from my from my perspective when I saw all the questions to answer I kind of answered them but then said could I just run through these with a team member just to make sure you know, I've answered everything right, and they were like, "Absolutely, yep." So you get a, a team that works with you as well. But the actually really interesting. My, my platform.
0: My solicitor's not going to like this. <laughs> I'm, I'm now thinking I'm going to do, <laughs> do everything through Seed Eagles.
1: <laughs> I think it's a good move for them. I believe it's a new a newer product for okay. them um, because they're. I, I I didn't really know they even did it, but uh, Foundy kind of introduced us to them about it. Yeah cuz Joe was talking good.
0: about that he was talking about yeah. um sort of auto like a partnership, head of terms. I think, or... Yeah yeah
1: yeah okay yeah. And so it it was good because it, it actually it helped us a bit obviously it meant that we didn't necessarily need to go and and spend as much on big legal teams and things like that but also from my perspective I I like that guy if I can use some tech then I'll use it you know if I can do it like that and and send it over and and use a platform then I'm game. So, yeah. It that worked um, that worked well. Who
0: who was the who was the buyer? What 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 Ooh. what um what business are they in?
1: So he um he he's actually bought it as an individual uh, kind of under a group but but as an individual and and he's coming in and going to be running the company himself which okay. was something I was really pleased with because that's something I was a little nervous about someone coming in and just deploying a team and it becoming a little bit faceless or worst case it just being kind of stripped of the clients and you know destroyed um and so that's really cool and he I believe has kind of had a a couple of businesses but he was looking for something that was established that was profitable that he could come in and pick up and go and scale and that's exactly what we were trying to do is say to someone look it's it's doing really well it's growing on its own but imagine what would happen if someone came in and actually tried to grow it you know, it has this possibility to just explode. But I don't want to be the one to do it. And he has so much energy. And he's really kind of just at a different point in that journey where he's like ready to go and do this and work long days and, you know, go and scale it and hustle. And I think I was at that point where I was happy to hand that over. <laughs> so and here you go.
0: And, And what was his? And you know, don't have to give me details if it's not your, um, not yours to say. But like, what's his background? How was he able to fund the deal? Did he have experience in this industry?
1: Yeah, I I don't know a huge amount about the 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 funding side. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that what what was interesting to me is that part of his background is in people management and in kind of a a senior role. um, I believe it was at Sainsbury's, managing lots of stores and people. And one of the biggest parts of the job of running Jampot is managing people you know it's matching up people with you know clients with team members sourcing people interviewing people um and so that that i think is going to come in very 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 handy for for him and i think that experience will be useful but he's also got some experience i believe with his own companies in the past um but i don't i don't know a huge amount about that
0: no okay and um so when did it when did it complete
1: um, so we completed on the 7th of November which wow, was all so very that's exciting three three weeks ago yeah and we have a one month handover which we've got okay. a few days left of so we're we're meeting on Wednesday to go and um, go for some lunch and kind of celebrate the last day of that and then he'll be he'll be kind of on his own but we've had a really good month of handover and it's been really satisfying some people have said to me like are you you know do you feel sad about it? And, and I really don't. I feel really excited about it. It's been intense because it's like seven odd years of business to kind of explain to someone in a few weeks. So we've been on lots of calls and we've been kind of running the business together for the last few weeks with him slowly taking on more and me stepping back more. And I thought that process would be harder, but it's been fine. <laughs> it's been really okay. good. So. I've been pleasantly surprised. It's just been intense, I think just in terms of the energy needed for it, but I'll be glad to, to get to next week and to crash out, I think, and have a bit of a break.
0: Yeah. So that was my next question. What, what is the plan from here? Obviously probably take a bit of time off for Christmas, but beyond what 2024.
1: It's a bit of a question mark actually at the moment. Um, I've been, I've been reaching out to some people I know that have sold their businesses and um, just kind of, Asking them about kind of what that was like, because I think what's difficult for me is I like working, so I, I will be working. I'm not going to, you know, just kind of swan about and not not do much. Um, but... I have created a job for myself over the last however many years where I've had flexibility, I've had two kids and I've been around for everything those kids have needed. I've been able to go to nativities and, you know, have that complete flexibility and and some real solid boundaries so that I I feel healthy in those, you know, in that kind of work-life balance. And I'm nervous about giving that away. Um, And so I'm kind of just trying to decide at the moment, you know, do I go and work for someone else for a bit, which would be quite nice not to be the boss, actually, I think, and, you know, work for someone else Um, or, or, you know, what to do. Something I started doing about a year ago, about a year and a half ago now is um, I started speaker coaching. Okay. And it was really interesting because I kind of thought that I had shelved my acting stuff, you know, it's, I, 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 you know, maybe when I'm older, I'll do it again. But for now, that's it. And speaker coaching is is actually a fusion of like my stage life, <laughs> my experience on stage uh, and screen and, and my business life and smushing them together. And it's been really cool doing that. So my initial plan is is to do more of that speaker coaching mm-hmm. communication stuff helping people with how to pitch and present and and how to kind of um be on stage when they need to be because a lot of people are reluctant speakers you know they know they have to do it but yeah there's not many people who actually like it so I, yeah uh, no, I really i'm, I'm suddenly that.
0: feeling suddenly feeling very self-conscious about my interview style <laughs>
1: <laughs> not at all <laughs> I, I think i think it's just about being yourself but it, yeah. It's really satisfying to me and the speakers I've worked with, it's been so satisfying to see them kind of get up and go and do it and take that stuff on on board. And I think I realized that it comes quite naturally to me. And so it would be cool to be able to help other people with that. And I've been working quite with quite a lot of women and female founders and, and running some workshops around taking up more space and, Banishing imposter syndrome and 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 yeah. helping ourselves out, I think, because it is still very much a, a male dominated world in that kind of startup scene, founder world.
0: Yeah. Do you I'm know watching... um, Emmy Faust and female founders rise?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm part of female founders. You're, rise, okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. She, I had her yeah. on the podcast as well recently. Um, oh, amazing. So, what? Um, just looking back on your on your on the sale yeah. of Jampot, is there anything that well? First of all, sort of any kind of tips for other business owners to um, prepare a business for sale and help the process go smoothly. But also, is there anything you would have done differently?
1: Yeah, I think. I think what benefited us that I would kind of always tell other people about was we really decided to start thinking about selling Jampot about two years ago. And it helped us with the decisions we made and it helped us with how we were doing things in the business, because I'd constantly be thinking, ah, but if we sold, then this would be really complicated because, you know, if we've bought this thing and it's, you know, for this and it, you know, or like making decisions about how we were scaling and things like that. In the back of my mind, I was kind of thinking, well, you know, we want to make sure that that's going to benefit us. If we then go to sell, what's that going to do to the bottom line? What's that going to do to our operating profit, which is what what we're going to need in order to kind of have a decent valuation? So I think being well ahead of that, rather than getting to a point where you decide to sell and suddenly you're scrambling to get everything in gear, I think having that mindset that you know you're going to exit well, well in advance helped us because by the time it's come to now, everything's in a better place and also I wasn't client facing anymore I wasn't doing any client work so the business doesn't revolve around me other than running it at a top level Chris has been able to come in and just replace me and there won't really be any fallout from that the team are happy the clients are happy because it won't really affect them to be honest so that prep work has helped us a lot I think
0: yeah with that are there um are there in terms of full-time staff, is it is it just you slash now Chris?
1: Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah I think yeah. So there's there's straightforward. opportunities for it to change, but yeah, that made it really straightforward. And, you know, even in terms of the sale, you know, we had no assets. We didn't have a building. We didn't have an office. So it made it very easy because it wasn't as complex, I think, than if we'd have had something like that.
0: Yeah. And how does it compare to your other exit, the e-commerce company?
1: Well, I, I kind of describe that one as a mini exit, really, because okay. it was um, it was kind of a bit of a side business. It was it was predominantly selling off the stock and the Instagram and stuff like that, um, and it was kind of dying a death. It needed someone to come and 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 take it and try and do something with it. We'd kind of started it and realized that we just didn't have enough time, but it, we'd got it to a point where it was at least worth something. Um, so this has been very different. I think also, so our, that, that the other business that we sold was called Senderbox with with senderbox it um we'd only had it a few years whereas what's been interesting about jampot is we've had this business throughout a very big and important year, few years of our life having both of our kids becoming parents um a pandemic <laughs> lots of interesting things like that so it feels weird now but it feels coincidental really that now we're also we're, we're moving back home to lincolnshire and there's lots of new things at Wayne Wango Go and it, feel, it feels really, really good. But I think Jampot's been, there's been more tied into it. The decision to sell it was hard mm. because it was just difficult to know if it's the right thing to do. But now at this moment in time, it, it was 100% the right thing to do. And I'm really glad that we've gone down that route, but it can be tricky in at that point, deciding whether to do it. Whereas with SenderBox, we, it was an absolute no brainer. We, our hearts weren't in it. We were like, we need to just do something with this stock and yeah. uh, let someone else go and run it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much for for coming on. Um, yeah,
1: it's been really cool to, to come and have a chat to you.
0: Welcome to m and Q&A with Nick Berry, m advisor to media and marketing agencies, who is a partner at Green Square. Each week, he answers one listener question. Uh last question. So this one is very open-ended. When is the right time to sell a business? Um okay, very yeah, very, very
2: open-ended. Um I think um I think if you if you look at the answers of some of the questions that we've looked at in various sessions, there's a lot of different factors that come into play. So if you consider um, business asset disposal relief, for example, which we talked about in a previous question, that might have an influence as to whether somebody wants to sell slightly sooner rather than later. Um, if you're looking at merging or or doing a deal with another company before ultimately, then you go to market. Then making sure that the chemistry and how that deal with a with a with a, with a peer, if you like, is going to work and it, it's is done in the best possible way will have a factor as to when you ultimately go to market to sell thereafter and really if we think about all the things that drive value in a business um good client relationships a good solid team you know no dependencies or over dependencies on certain clients um good capability and a service offering that is still highly in demand and, and not, not on waning because of changes in technology or changes in the market, et cetera, all of those factors will have a say in when the right time is for you to sell. So every business is different. Every business's journey is different. And every timing, um, every, every sort of set of timing and circumstances for owners of those businesses is different. So it's very common, you know, within businesses that I talk to all the time where you may have one or two of the the sellers, the owners, who are looking to go sooner rather than later. But you may have others who have a a longer time scale and a longer horizon for when they see the need to realize value. So that in itself can sometimes be a challenge within a business. So to say that there is a set time for businesses to sell is very difficult. I think there is one concept which I think still stands very true, however. <clears throat> the, there's the concept of the S-curve that most businesses go through. So, you know, again, this doesn't apply to every business, but most businesses will start gradually and gather momentum and then hopefully go through a period of significant growth before they may then reach a scale or a size or a kind of um position in the market where things begin to sort of steady scale scale down or 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 or, uh what's the word i'm looking for or begin to slow down in terms of continued growth so the the trick is when you sell on that fs curve which is going to be slightly different for every business you you may think that you want to sell right at the top of the s curve but if you're going to do a deal where there's going to be an earnout, and for you to be attractive to a buyer that buyer has to see that they'll get a return on their, their investment. So actually, the point when you sell needs to be when you think that there's enough stretch and there's enough more uh, growth, that there's an, enough extra growth to achieve on that curve for a buyer to get their return investment, for you to maximise any returns from an earnout. So that is isn't a specific date or a, a timeline, but that's conceptually the best time to sell.
0: Yeah, and well, I guess ultimately it's it's a personal decision for, for the founder or founders, yep. um, and often that'll be um, driven by some sort of external factor. Uh, it could just be they've got bored, they want to go off and do something else. It could be health problems. It could be retirement. You know, <clears> there are all sorts of factors that, that, that come yeah, into absolutely. play.
2: And, you know, on one of the previous questions, um, we talked about... Uh, if we, there was a similar kind of point made and and i flagged the, the as an answer i flagged the fact that you need to think about opportunity cost as well so all of those things that you've just said barnaby about timing and individual circumstances are absolutely spot on and there's also whether a business owner or owners feel that they've reached the most that they can achieve without a strategic partner what they mm. think they may be able to earn and and what the rewards would be for continuing as they are as an independent business for the foreseeable future versus getting into bed with a bigger organisation or an organisation that has a different capability set or whatever it may be so yeah there's no one size fits all
0: yeah i think that's a really good point actually i think professional development is actually can be quite a big reason where people yeah. think well look i've run my business it's kind of reached a certain size and it's if i carry on doing it myself it will be same sort of thing for the next 10-20 years or I I sell my business to another group and something else happens I learn something new I get new opportunities as a result of that so yeah yeah. absolutely great yeah sorry that was a that was a, a very a very wide question I threw at you but thank you thank you very much for listening to the exit plan podcast if you enjoyed it please leave us a review to help other people find us if you would like your question answered in m and Q&A or are wondering what's next for you and your business and want to chat about an exit plan, drop me an email on barnaby at foxcogroup.com or get in touch with me on LinkedIn.